Welcome to the RIBA's Road to Recovery podcast series, a chance to peek behind the net curtains of a host of architects' practices across the country to sneak into their lockdown worlds and hear their personal experiences of and responses to COVID-19. Every time there was a change in government coalition to whatever it was going to be and then with the Brexit vote, our client base went on polls mode. You're having conversations at a very human level, making decisions at a very human level. And I think that's that's a positive, actually, in this crisis. There's never been previous circumstance, crisis or otherwise, where everybody's had to pack up and go home. In this episode, we talk about learning from financial and political crisis, getting paid on time and staying financially resilient. Meet Gillian Mitchell from Mitchell and Lomas Architects, Peter Inglis from Cullen and Studio, and Tim Bailey from Excite Architecture. If I could just kick off by asking you, Gillian, how has your practice been through previous crises or recessions? We started about 20, over 20 years ago now, so we've been through a couple of recessions, but the, the 2008 is probably the most memorable, which didn't hit us in 2008. It kicked in really 2011, 2012 for our practice. Got really, really quiet. Started looking uh, in the jobs pages, really. No, that was that was. And what did you learn from that crisis that you took into COVID-19? I didn't realise I was taking it into COVID-19, but I did realise at one point it had happened. And that was a bit of courage or faith, if you like, that um, people will still build. And so try not to panic about the phone going quiet or inquiries dropping off or whatever. And just thinking, hold fast, this will come back. It's done it before. So, um, and we obviously we're still in unknown territory and we don't know how quickly it will come back, but people need to build. We specialise in low energy one-off houses or several off houses or remodelling projects as private residential dominantly, but a private commercial. It's just knowing what's going to happen uh, in the future. Peter? Well, yes, our, our practice has been around since the 60s, so it's been through several recessions. I think similarly for us, the biggest one, certainly in my time there, has been following, I guess, following the financial crash, particularly straight after the 2010 election, where we had quite a lot of work, which was from the Building Schools for Future programme and having effectively having three projects stop on the same morning without any notice whatsoever and discovering that through a press release rather than um, you know, <laughs> through, our, through our clients. So I think what we learned from that is that you can't really take anything for granted that you can have the most solid stand-up projects suddenly if the rug pulled from under them um, you know, and, under, and from under your clients. And I guess that's happened again to an extent within this, this process here. We had one leisure project where the clients basically said, there's no point in going ahead with this at the moment. We, we Let's postpone it for a year. So these things can hit you, you know, when you least expect them. And Tim, what previous crises have you learned from? Well, similarly to Gillian, actually, the practice is 20 years old this year. Without doubt, during that period, the largest impact was after the financial crash. Again, similarly, that wasn't immediate. It was a lag of several years, primarily because at the time, our workload was about 60% public sector and the public sector held through on on the immediate aftermath of 2008. But thereafter, it was pretty cataclysmic 
for us. And of course, there are lessons learned there. But actually, in the early 2000s, there was a similar sort of bumpy ride that I think we'd taken some things forward from into that financial crash. I feel like the other context is that in the northeast of England, it's not a permanent recession. That would be ridiculous. But what you'll understand a little bit is, is that the peaks are not as high and the troughs are not actually as low as a consequence of having an economy which is always searching for new territory, new ground to work within. Gillian, how have you built this predicting the unpredictable into your daily business? Well, I bought a magic wand to start with. <laughs> and in fact, Peter's just reminded me, of course, that the elections and the referendum on Brexit also impacted, and I haven't really put them in the same pot as the, as the recession, the financial crash. But every time there was a change in government, coalition to whatever it was going to be, and then with a Brexit vote, our client base went on pause mode and they all um, start again and and then when they start talking about after lockdown start they start then examining what's happening in government and whether they stay whether they go whatever happens and you think don't change again please don't change again every change there's a pause and peter have you built that into your daily business i think we have i think that you know the big things that we've learned from that and and similarly the for us, the uncertainty around Brexit votes and around the last election has this has the same impact in terms of clients not being able to commit really to the next stage. Things become much more stop start. I think what we've realised we have to do over the last the last few years is to build up a cushion, a financial cushion, so that we've been working with a, a pot of cash that allows us to make sensible decisions quite quickly but not in a in a panic. But having that cash cushion to make those decisions is absolutely vital. I think it's interesting as well, after the financial crash, the banks have changed. So approaching them for, for short-term and relatively low-level finance has completely changed. And it's just really hard work. So I agree with you, the financial cushion makes a big difference. Yeah. They need and, to offer that a bit more. Yeah, I agree that relying, well, we found that that relying on the banks is even not as very long-term customers of a bank. Yeah. Um, as you find that cash goes down to down low, the bank's also watching that. And that's the point where your overdraft facility is withdrawn. Yes. And then yes. once you build your cash cushion back up again, you get the phone call saying, how would you like an overdraft facility? So we've kind of learned that we need to kind of have that, you know, financial cushion ourselves and not rely on outside bodies to, to help us. And Tim? Well, it's interesting because um, my solution to the overdraft and bank lending is to use it. <laughs> We actually use our overdraft a lot. And of course, that's what earned the banks some money. We know that perfectly well. But precisely because of that reason, they leave us alone and have, generally speaking, been helpful when we've needed short-term intervention of some sort. Cash flow is is incredibly difficult. We have instances over the last 12 months, so nothing to do with the current crisis, of people just not paying. It's a common theme and being very, very hard to chase down. I don't think that that is particularly different right across the profession. It's generally not spoken of very much, but actually happens all the time. There are techniques, of course, and little things that we've learned along the way to mitigate that, like smaller amounts build more often, monthly payments rather than stage payments, whatever that is, that we've learned those lessons along the way. More recently, we've actually agreed a forward payment plan with clients so that it just goes on to the equivalent of having a direct debit at their end that is never spoken of, and it keeps cash turning over for us and incentivizes us also to keep up with the work. I think the overriding 
bit about cash is acting early to in whatever way it is. So whether it's stemming payments, allowing some cushion to build up and not be eroded too quickly, whatever the issue is or whatever the technique is rather, it's acting quickly. And so we never have in 20 years, we've never laid anybody off. And I see that as a fundamental part of the way we want to behave. Tim, sorry, do you, do you feel that you get a, um, a reward from your staff for having that that strategy in the practice? Do you feel, do you feel it get it coming back that people are very loyal to you because you're very loyal to them? I think so. If you look That's at really longevity, about half the practice have been with the practice for over 10 years. Uh, one person for 17, another person for 15. Um, the other half are part one, part two students who you'd expect to be a bit more transitory. Really interesting policy. Peter, for a larger practice, you haven't been able to act in similar ways. Well, well, no, it's, I'd love to say that we've we've never had to make redundancies, but, but we have certainly on a couple of occasions there since I've been in the practice. But what I think that Tim's wider point about treating people with respect and fostering a, a community among the people working in the practice is certainly absolutely vital. And we do that. Ted Cullinan set the practice up in the 60s as a, as a cooperative, and we still run that way. And what that means is that the people in the, in the practice are our partners, that we share the income and we share you know, the finances, how the finances work, which means that we all together can see what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. And we can see when there are difficult decisions that need to be made, we can collectively make them. We've got a dynamic pay structure, which means if the income falls, then our salaries adjust accordingly. And we come to consensus as a group when it's falling to a point where actually, no, we do need to look at the size of the practice. But what we find is that because we have that very open, we have that these discussions in a very sort of grown way and people have access to all the figures to understand where this comes from when we have had to shrink it's all been done in a sort of very amicable grown-up way covid19 is a particular crisis jillian i think it's sort of the guillotine effect or, or you're facing the cliff whereas in other particularly in financial crises and particularly in the, the last one it was much more gradual you know it didn't affect everybody at exactly the same time and in the same way so there was a sort of teaming and ladling through the industry and I think with COVID-19 everybody's lives whether they're clients or, or in the industry came to a temporary and very abrupt stop or a pause some people have managed to continue seamlessly and some people have continued to, to stop I was on a, an RIBA webinar quite early on and sharing experiences with architects and one um, practitioner said that every single project she was working on came to an end on the same day and I just thought gosh that's so, so catastrophic and we were really blessed I mean ours is almost the opposite we've had two projects pause uh, one because our client works in the construction industry and he had to manage his business and the other because the client was nervous about being able to let a contract to a builder and get materials and as a development sell it on you know how really lucky we were with so many projects that kept going but I can imagine to face that cliff edge and everything stopping on one day would be really really quite catastrophic. Peter is anything being particular about this crisis? I think it's a crisis that, you know, yes, I'd agree with that, that everybody's going through together. And I think that's actually helped in a, in a strange way. I've actually found um, being paid better in this time than it has been previously. I know it's shocking, isn't it? And I don't know whether that's because the, the finance departments are at home working in a focused way or because, you know, exactly. I'm not going to question too much what the reasons are. I'm just going to say thank you very much. No doubt. But, it's, but it has actually been, it just has all felt a little bit 
less adversarial maybe because everybody's been in it together. It's made me realise that because we work with individuals on their properties directly, we, we perhaps have been having that human effect more immediately in our work anyway. So it's less of a contrast now. And I think our clients are, are cautious about us visiting and, and meeting and, and all those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. but they've always we've always been working with them within their homes and, and with their emotional intelligence as much as with their professional commercial side. So it's, it's interesting to, to think that that's actually not so much of a contrast for us. And Tim? I think there are lots of positives to take, but there are also lots of positives about why we exist in the way we did. How do you juggle all of that into mm. um, a something that feels cohesive, that still has a core ethic or a core root or a core culture, whatever you want to call it? Gillian, is that something you've experienced? I do sometimes describe what we do as um, juggling and spinning plates. And I think with COVID-19, we've just had an awful lot more plates thrown in. There's things we've done in this process that we should keep going that we should make sure we don't just revert back to just all assume because you're sitting next to somebody, everybody's everybody knows what's going on and everybody knows what, what they're doing, that it's actually been, been quite good. It has actually put a structure around it that, you know, maybe we should always have had a little bit, but now going forward, you know, will help us next time to do the work more efficiently. This final question to all of you, really, what skills from these previous crises in particular are you going to take with you? One of the things that occurred to me straight away was let's get an early conversation about what parts of this process we like and what parts we don't like so that we can design a practice for the future that looks something capable of coping with this as well as that financial issue and as well as this technical issue. And Peter? It's made us really understand that or question the nature of where we need to be. And actually, we can have a wider geographical reach. Potentially, we can have satellite offices in Birmingham or in Manchester or Edinburgh without actually losing that social aspect of having one office in London. So I think it really is expanding our thinking should also help with resilience. Gillian Mitchell, Peter Inglis and Tim Bailey, thank you so much for taking part in this RIBA Road to Recovery podcast series.